Hey everybody, this is Jade and welcome to another episode of Jade Start Secrets Podcast. And in this episode, we have Tim Butters. He's the founder of CDK Franchise. And I'm really excited about this episode because not only has he made and built incredible businesses that he's sold, but he's also reshaped not only my thinking, but I'm sure your thinking about the franchise model and how it is actually an extremely awesome model to choose if you wanted to go down the path of setting up a business with help and support. So thank you so much for coming no on the podcast, Tim. So the big question is this, how do we have the freedom we crave so badly when we're stuck in jobs we don't like, leaving us unfulfilled, exhausted and trapped? What if I told you that you're already qualified enough to start building a life on your terms, the life of your dreams? That is the question and this podcast will show you how by giving you the answers. My name is Jade Weller, and welcome to Jade Start Secrets Podcast. Thanks for an amazing intro. How good is that? There's a lot to live up to. So before we get started, I thought we could frame up the podcast by telling a little bit about your background because you come from a construction background, mm -hmm. um, and so talking about your first business and sort of a little bit about you. Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm from Queenstown in New Zealand, mm -hmm. um, and I left high school and got an apprenticeship, so I went out and um, worked for my father for... A good four or five years doing the um, doing the right thing, I guess, getting something mm -hmm. to fall back on. Um, I ended up getting really stuck in that industry, and I ended up uh, moving to Australia and building a business here. Mm -hmm. um, started on the Gold Coast, like most Kiwis, surfers paradise, and the yeah. tallest building <laughs> I could possibly find. Um, and yeah, I was working for a company here, and uh, decided to go out on my own, and that was my first proper business. Mm -hmm. um, before that, I always dabbled with bits and pieces uh, as a kid, mm -hmm. so I, I was always interested in trading. I, I loved the idea of buying something for a dollar, selling it for two. Mm. Um, so I was always doing that, even from like a young age, 10 to 12 years old. So how old were you when you first started in business then? Well, were you trading? Look, I think um, back then I, I would have been in my early teens, but it wasn't really, obviously it wasn't a business, it was just some money for lollies on the weekend and awesome. a few extra bits and pieces. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I moved to the Gold Coast and really decided that I wanted to make it a career path for me. I didn't want to kind of be told what to do by anybody, uh, and I wanted to um, yeah, essentially be my own boss. So it was a really good opportunity to do it off the back of a trade. Mm. Um, it's something that, that I became really good at, and I was passionate about it, I guess, to a certain extent, uh, because it was something that where uh, it was really rewarding. You would finish a project. This is the same with most finishing trades. You finish a project, you get to stand back and be proud of what you've achieved. Yeah. And just that whole process, um, it becomes kind of addictive, I guess, in a way. Mm. And then building a team from one, I had an apprentice, uh, an apprentice that started with me when he was, I think, maybe 18 years old. He's still doing it to this day. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, just building up a team and then seeing what, what a team can do, a whole group of people, seeing what mm. they can achieve if you have a common goal, which mm. is pretty cool. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're a stonemason? Uh, so Tyler and stonemason. So yeah. we coming from Queenstown, we worked with a lot of schist, yeah. Um, a lot of natural stone, like limestone and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. that was a bit of, um, that was an easy in over here because it's a bit of a luxury item. Not many people use those sort of products. Yeah. Uh, in Queenstown, every second house is built with natural stone. Oh, wow. Um, so that gave me a really good in uh, after moving here to have that kind of niche market. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one thing led to another. Yeah. So you were telling me um, when we caught up last time that you actually got out of the building industry and sort of found a new passion, I suppose, after having an extremely successful building company. Mm. Um, what was that passion? 
Um, it's really bizarre and it's really <laughs> left field. Um, but we, me and my business partner, who's still my business partner now, he's the co-founder of City Cave. We started a business called the Manchester Importers. Mm-hmm. So we used to trade, um, we used to import products. We used to use products from major wholesalers in Australia and create pop-ups. So we would mm. sell directly to the public from warehouse-style avenues. Mm. Um, it went really well. It was it was a good business. It was just very up and down. So it was peaks and troughs through the whole career that we had um, mm. in that space and. At least with construction, you knew you get a job here, you complete it, you get paid, you bring more guys on, you can take on more projects. Mm. We were working in pop-up environments, so it was nothing was ever solid. We never signed a lease. It was always like a, a casual lease, you know, month yeah. to month. Yeah. So it was very difficult to build a solid business model around that. Um, mm. So we were constantly dealing with peaks and troughs. Um, mm. We had some massive wins and some big low times as well. So. Mm. Um, it was never a forever thing, but it was mm. a great way to learn about an, a new industry mm. and, um, yeah, dabble. And, and it was my excuse to get out of the construction game too, yeah. I think. There was one really high peak and really low trough that happened all in one day, wasn't there? Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, it was actually, it, it was kind of learning all the ups and downs in business in one day. So <laughs> we, um, we had a big sale coming up. We had this huge warehouse out in Springwood, and we put trailers all around Springwood. So anyone that was driving past on that particular weekend, they should know that we had a sale on. It was we, we put a lot of time and effort into it, and we overexposed ourselves and went absolutely crazy with it. So um, I think we spent about thirty grand on marketing for that weekend alone, and we weren't doing any digital, no nothing external. It was kind of all your traditional avenues. Um, we definitely overcapitalized on it, which I, mm. I think I've explained to you before. Um, we, I was at home the night before just really stressing about it. It was, wasn't make or break, but we had a lot of pressure on it. Um, from there, I was driving to work the next morning. You know, you have a lot of self-doubt. You really you struggle in those sort of moments to keep motivated. Luckily, I have my business partner who he was on the same kind of scary um, journey as I was. Uh, mm. We were driving to the store and <clears throat> we came off the highway and our first trailer was gone. I thought, shit, I'm sure we put a trailer here. And then sure enough, we went over the bank, down the other side, next trailer was gone. All of the trailers had been stolen overnight. <laughs> and that was kind of like our only real um, marketing that we, we put out there. That, like, that was a massive, massive punt. It was a huge part of the marketing spend, was hiring these trailers for a five-day period. And we made a terrible mistake, which was not getting proper business insurance to cover oh, it. It was no. kind of like a, an idea that we had on the a couple of weeks before. And um, anyway, we got to we got to the site, and we thought there's just no way that we're going to be able to get the turnover to cover the costs of the losses that we've already incurred before we've even opened the doors. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a horrible feeling walking up to an uh, to your your team that you need to motivate you need to be a leader for for your crew. We had about eighteen people on the ground for this weekend, and um, it was I opened the door, came out, everything was kind of elevated. You ha- you have this feeling in those situations of like extreme stress where um, everything's heightened. You can hear every sound better. You're you're really kind of um, I don't know hypersensitive to the situation. Yeah. And uh, we got out and had to act like everything's breezy. You know, everything's going to be great. Let's get let's get excited. <clears throat> and then walking out, walking out the back, just kind of like you know, putting my hand through my hair, thinking, what you know, what are we doing? This is going to be an absolute nightmare of a day. Um, the hardest thing is getting customers in the door, and we've just lost our number one avenue to get people in the door. Uh, and then people started coming in. We put a few of the staff out on the street doing wobble boarding. We tried to do as much as we possibly could to make the best out of a shitty situation. Yeah. And then the cars started piling in, and it was like one car after the next. We had a car park that could fit about 80, 80 cars in it. 
and we would have had 60 cars in there before we even opened the doors and everybody flooded in and we ended up absolutely crushing it which was wow, awesome that's amazing. Um, yeah it was it created this amazing energy in there and you know energy attracts energy and it was yeah, yeah it was just a super cool day and um, yeah it could have gone the other way really quickly yeah so. That's the thing with retail, isn't it? Like the profit margins are so slim. And yeah. There's little room for for error, and the cash flow is often often really hard to manage in yeah. a retail store as well. And and I'm sure a lot of people we've had a retail store ourselves, even though it was an online retail store. And you have to hold a lot of stock as well, and there's no guarantee that it's going to be popular in six months' time. Mm. So there's this pressure to move it and get rid of it as well. Yeah, I, I definitely feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the hardest thing about that industry in particular, when you're working in fashion items. You don't have to just think about the stock you got on the on the floor. You've got to think about the stock on the water that's coming to replenish yeah. that. You've got to think about the stock that's getting made yeah. and ideas, things that that you've already got to be thinking about that need to be in production yeah. to follow down that line in six months to a year. Yeah. Um, and it's very cutthroat. Like, I think uh, I've been to China quite a lot over the last ten years. And when I first went there, I would go to the Canton Fair. It's kind of the biggest international trading fair in the world. Mm. And it used to be like. You walk around and you'd be the only Australian or Kiwi kicking around. You wouldn't really bump into too many other people from this side of the world. Now, everybody goes there with the, with the help of Alibaba and eBay and yeah. Gumtree and all of those avenues. Everybody thinks that they can go and buy something for a dollar and sell it for two. Yeah. And unfortunately, what that means is it brings the average price down. Which you know Now, you're not just competing with the big guys. You're also competing with everybody else that's bought a container of stock and are trying to flog it out of their garage. That's so true. So, um, yeah, for me... It, Retail became a bit of a, um, I don't know, a bit of a no-go. I just decided I didn't really like it. It wasn't gelling yeah. with me anymore. Yeah. Um, and although um, it could have potentially been a really successful business, for me, I didn't want to be known as the Manchester guy. I didn't want to be selling yeah. pillows and sheets my whole life. Yeah. Um, I've always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder thinking that I really want to be able to leave something behind and I really want to be proud of what I'm doing. So. Yeah. yeah, building a legacy. That's the yeah. entrepreneur's mark. <laughs> yeah, what's the dream? And yeah. it's, um, I feel very lucky that I've found that with City Cave. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you sold this Manchester mm-hmm. business and you sold it for quite a good price. So you left that business and then you and your business partner were kind of like, what next? And so what happened after that? Yeah, it was a really weird time in my life. It was really bizarre. So I'd obviously thrown construction in the bin. Now I've thrown in the, the new business that I was pushing. And, you know, I just turned 30 and I had no idea what I wanted to do. It was the scariest feeling in the world. Mm. Um, I really didn't want to go back to construction. Um, so really it left me very small industries to, to move um, towards. And I tried float therapy. Um, mm. So that's one of our main core biz- uh, parts of our business. And it was a bit of a assessment tool for myself so it's, it was asking myself those hard questions in that environment where you um you've got sensory deprivation so you've got no external stimulation taking your your um brain power i guess mm. so i went in there had this amazing experience my business partner jeremy he was going through absolutely everything that i'm going through through all of these times that i'm discussing he was in the, the other room we both walked out onto the street and we looked at each other and said business idea and then we just put, put our head down ass up for six months and uh, worked really, really hard on researching the industry, trying to understand the ins and outs. It's very, very new here in Australia, and it still is. I mean, since we started, when we opened our first city cave, there was about 25 float centres in Australia, and now there's over 200, and that's oh, wow. only in the last three years. Wow. So it's a huge trending market. Yep. Um, and, yeah, we just hit the ground running. We've developed our own float pools instead of using the float tanks. So mm. instead of it being that capsule environment, 
I actually um, really like your float pools. They're yeah. kind of like stone all around. And mm. it's like a big, for the listeners and the viewers, it's like a big sort of swimming pool, so to speak, a mini swimming pool um, with stone all around and, you, and you're inside a room instead of being inside a little pod. It's yeah. amazing. I love it. Yeah, I think that the battle for us was trying to create something that is great for anxiety, depression, sports recovery. It's it, There's oodles and oodles of benefits, but I don't want people to feel apprehensive about going into one of those pods. Yeah. And when we were researching the first thing, that people said to us was I couldn't get into one of those things because yeah. I'll be claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, so we needed to move that fear and how do you try and create that sensory deprivation environment without having that closed capsule? It was, now we've got these full soundproof rooms and we tried to make it a little bit more appealing um, to the males out there as well. It's not so feminine. It's not such a day spary experience. It's yeah. more of like, um, it's enjoyable. It's nice to look at. It's Instagrammable. You know, yeah. everything has to be Instagrammable yeah. these days. Um, and yeah, it's just taken off really, really well. Yeah. Mm. So you went from having one successful store mm-hmm. and then you guys opened up your second. Yep. And like everything that happens in life, when we take our focus off one and onto something else, the others tends to slip, and I yeah. remember you telling me what tell tell the viewers and the, and the listeners a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, look, that's it's a really um, common issue when a yeah. business is growing, and I think that's why we went down the franchise path because since we when we open a franchise, we kind of leave somebody in charge of it, mm. and then we can move our focus onto the brand and and trying to always look for new things that can bolt on to the business and um, drive that side of things forward. For us, when we moved from our first site to our second, which we still own, they're our two company stores. As soon as we took our eye off the first one, um, we opened up Paddington and it just started to, uh, there was just a few issues. When you open a business, you need to give it absolutely everything. You Mm. need to give it your 100% like Mm. undivided attention. So as soon as you move that off your baby that's only been going up and running for a year, Mm. just lots of little stuff started started happening. So it was a no-brainer for us to move into franchising and it's just, as we grow, I'm I become happier and happier with that decision, seeing yeah. the success that my franchisees are having, yeah. as opposed to when we when we moved and, and spread ourselves too thin. Yeah, um, it's a well, good way to scale. You've created an amazing model. You've tested and proven that it works, and mm. so now you're able to hand a business over to somebody else and go. We know this works. Just follow our lead. Yeah. And that leads me actually to the point about franchises. So we, when we caught up, we were talking a little bit about the franchise model, and you've had a lot of success. And um, I'll get you to talk, talk about that in a second mm-hmm. with um, actual franchise model, but. For people that are listening and watching, and and for me before I met you, mm. I always thought that the franchise model was um, was very risky, was fraught with danger because a lot of franchisors, um, I suppose, there's not as much regulation as what there should be, or perhaps mm. the franchisors were out to make money instead of caring about the franchisees. But you've absolutely changed my my mind and my way of thinking about that, and it's because <laughs> That's the, the biggest takeaway for me was it's, it's not necessarily about the law, or it's not necessarily about the franchisors. You have to do your research about who you're buying a franchise from, mm. and that's probably the biggest takeaway I took from our conversation because there are people like you who dedicate all of their time and money into setting up a successful business model, mm. but then there are also equally and opposite people who have no interest in setting up something that's successful. They just set up something and then yeah. try and take your money for it, and, the, and so having research around who you're buying a business from equally as important for sure so you 100%. actually recently won an award in america yes. from the international franchise federation uh, association yeah association yeah so it's pretty much the biggest congregation of franchisors in the world they have it every year it's in vegas um, we're in vegas this year for it it's going to be in florida next year um, and it's pretty much a, a place where all franchisors get together it's like a, um, a meet and greet you have uh, lots of workshops during that time and 
uh, we were able to meet some uh, some amazing people, like mm. people that I could have never dreamed of meeting. I've, I've become friends with a lady called Suzanne Greco. She was the president and CEO of Subway. Her yeah. brother started Subway when he was 17 years old. Wow. Um, his name was Frank, and she she was one of our judges mm. and um, has become a lifelong friend. Franchisors really do stick together. Mm. It's an industry where we are all <clears throat> we're not competition, but mm. we we're all in the exact same industry, I guess, in its in yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Australia put us and another company called Core Nine Fitness forward to yeah. represent Australia and um, try and win the next gen competition, which is. Anyone under 35, um, it's all franchisors from all around the world, under 35 in like an emerging area. Yeah. So they um, put us forward with um, out of 2,000 businesses worldwide. Wow. Um, we were there. We got down to the top 17 uh, businesses. We had a guy from Kenya, um, Americans, we had people from all around the world uh, competing with us. Uh, then we got down to the top three. And winning the top three meant that we got to have all these micro classes the whole time and prepare for the final day. And we had to get up in front of 5,000 people and pitch our, wow. our business to 5,000 franchisors, essentially. Um, and then we won, which was super crazy and totally didn't expect it. Um, we're the first ever international winners of it. Wow. And Because um, yeah. Americans usually win it, don't they? Yeah, it's yeah. always been Americans. So wow. typical. <laughs> no, look, to be honest... Uh, Americans do franchising really, really well. Yeah. Um, franchising, it started over there. It's the, the whole McDonald's kind of mentality yeah. where yeah. Um, they look at it like it helps create the American dream. Wages mm. are so low over there, like brutally low in America. Mm. And for somebody to be able to take control of their own destiny with a cookie-cutter business model, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. <clears throat> and they've got so many people. The population's so huge over there. Yeah. So... Um, you know, too right. They they should probably win it, but they didn't. They had to compete with us this year, so we yeah. were pretty happy to take that away from them. That's amazing. Yeah. amazing. What recognition! That's incredible. Yeah, it was super cool. I think um, moving forward, it's it's really important that we we push that franchising still an amazing industry. Yeah, it's been tarnished here in Australia. I'm not going to say from which company, but there's a really big group here. Um, that are on the front page of the newspaper constantly. Yeah. Um, they own a lot of smaller franchises under the one big umbrella yeah. and they're renowned for just trying to take, take, take from the franchisees. Yeah. For us, it's absolutely crucial that our franchisees are successful. If the franchisees are successful, then we're successful. Yeah. So um, it's really important when looking for a franchise business to buy into because there is some really, really good ones here in Australia, some great fitness ones, some acai bowl ones, things like that. Mm. Um, you've just got to make sure that you gel with the with the founders and the people that you're going to be dealing with day to day. It's like yeah. any relationship. You're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, for us, our franchise is seven plus seven. So essentially, we're getting into bed for a minimum of 14 years together. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that you get along. You've got to feel comfortable ringing, ringing up and getting on the other end of the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually really I really like what you do with your franchisees. You're saying that you get them all on group calls all the time mm. and you're often it's like a mini mastermind so to speak. You're fleshing yeah. out what problems they've got, what's what solutions they've found to a different problem they've had recently and mm. that's that's really good. The communication. Yeah. And as we grow, I, I love that that's our community that's growing. You know, originally mm. when we started with one store, our James Street site, we got really excited, me and my business partner, when we noticed that people coming through the doors, we were really helping them and they were leaving Better. So they were coming yeah. in. It's it's about creating better quality of life. We're a place where people can kind of deplug from society and the craziness and just come in and spend some time with themselves. So yeah. every dollar transaction that we make, somebody's better off for it, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah. It's the best best industry to be in. Yeah. Um, and now we get to do that on another level with our franchisees. So seeing our franchisees get all, they're also getting financial wellness as well as they're getting. 
uh, making their life happier and it's affecting their family and it's trickling down through their life. Mm. And we can see it on their faces in those Zoom. We have a Zoom call every month and it's everyone's populated like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, at the moment we've got seven. We want to have 100 in Australia um, and we'll obviously start breaking those groups down into smaller, smaller areas. But everybody shares stories from the front line of their store and everybody's yeah. problems are... It's, it's easy. The business works. It's just about saying, hey, have you experienced this? Yeah, you have over there in Sydney. Cool, let's work out how we can make it not a thing here. So Yeah. yeah. So you've recently opened up a store on the Gold Coast. Yes. And you had a very special You guest. want to hear about <laughs> Kelly Slater, don't you? Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. amazing. And so he came in off the street on his own. Yeah, yeah. Kelly Slater. So cool. I was actually out with our lawyer and we got the message through on Instagram saying Kelly Slater's just walked in. Walked in in bare feet, super cool dude. He floats in, I think he said he was from California, yeah. and he floats at a place over there um, once a fortnight, and he came in, 2.4 million followers, and he did a big organic post, him and his wife, and said in his post that it was the best float that he's ever had, can't wait for these guys to come to America. So wow. that was huge. It's just been this year, it's been month after month of just positive stuff, which yep. is cool. So how do you, with the mindset, how do you deal with the mindset of having so much success happen so quickly? Like, does it just give you so many ideas? Do you just feel like you're so excited you just want to run around in every direction? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I definitely need to calm down a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's how I would react in here. <laughs> yeah, look, at the same time, we go through so much shit as well. We're constantly mm. juggling. Like, business is a roller coaster. It doesn't mm. matter how big, how successful, how amazing it looks from the outside. We go through stuff weekly, almost daily, where, you know, you, you have your your bottom out periods, it might be, I don't know, for example, our, our um, website's down, so we, lo we lost a day of online sales. You can't mm. do anything about it. It's not, it's not something that you can dwell on. You just need to get it up and running and move past it. So, yeah, yeah things are really successful on the outside at the moment, but we've got a lot of work to do. And I yeah. think that my personality and, and Jeremy's personality, we will always be kind of overextending ourselves to get to that next level. Mm. Um, it's exciting. It makes, makes things fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so before we wrap up, what mm -hmm. is? do you have any advice for anybody who's thinking about starting a business or thinking about entering into the franchise world? Mm -hmm. um, what, what's the one piece of advice you would give them? Well, there are two separate things. So going into, into business from scratch with an idea, um, just be real about it. Mm. Have a chat with lots of advisors. There's some very, very smart people out there that can financially structure a business and they'll take you through your first couple of years of cash flow. Make sure that you've got enough money to get through mm. the hard times. Work out your org chart. Work out who's who you're going to need and play the whole thing out to where you really want to get to. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to start a retail store, do you want one? Do you want two? Do you want 20? Do you want to be online? Do you not mm. want to be online? Absolutely work out absolutely everything yeah. and talk to your peers about it. I think the best thing for me was talking to my close circle. My mum actually, a funny story, I, when I told her I was going into the float industry, she cried. <laughs> she really? was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Queenstown, New Zealand, they had no idea what, what it was about and I was trying to ooze like my excitement down the phone to her about oh my god i'm about to invest all my money into it. and she's like oh what are you doing to <laughs> go back and be a tyler it's it's you know it's decent so yeah. um i take that on as constructive criticism i yeah. never act exactly on what somebody kind of discusses with me but it's really really good to get outsiders opinions and that's yeah. pretty much how we formed the idea of not going with the traditional pods, we went with the float pools. Mm. Best move we've e ever done, and we only came up with that from just talking to people about what we were doing. Yeah, so um, actively listen to what the marketplace yeah. had fears about adopting yeah, exactly. your business model. Yeah. And just everybody loves helping a new business. Mm. Everybody will totally have your back. Mm. Um, so that's 
a business, a franchise business, on the other hand, it's so important that you get what the what the founders, what the brand's about. You understand yeah. the vision and you're you're on board to be in for the long haul. Mm. Um, you're becoming part of a community, part of a family. Mm. Um, and yeah, each have their pros and cons. Mm. But for me, moving down the franchise path, we, we wouldn't have done it unless we asked ourselves if, if that was available to us back then. Before we learned all the lessons that we learned, we would have taken it, yeah. taken that opportunity. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's extremely insightful. Thank you mm. so much for all of your um, experiences and your stories. No worries. Um, I hope that everybody's been able to gather something out of that. I'm sure you would have. Um, and for now, then I think right. we'll go grab a coffee and <laughs> start our day. All right. It's nice and early. We're in Brisbane. So <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay. Cheers. Yes. Good one, guys. All right. <clears throat> that's a wrap. Cool. Cool.